So let's look at Matthew chapter 17, verses 17 through 21. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, it'll be on the screen. Thank you for being here tonight. Great crowd. I need you to stay with me because we're going to go somewhere. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is going to minister to us tonight. When Jesus and his disciples descended from the Mount of Transfiguration and reached the crowd, a man knelt down before Jesus and begged him to heal his son. Now I have a son. I have a daughter. As a father, I can, I can understand some of this emotion that this man is feeling. The boy had seizures and often fell into the fire and water. And we know from the parallel account in Mark's gospel that the father also said his son had a demon. His physical impairments had a spiritual cause. And the disciples couldn't heal him. Have you ever reached that place? To where it felt like there is no answer for what I'm going through. Have you ever been there to where you felt like I'm at the end of the rope? I don't know what else to do. Though Jesus had deputized and empowered them to do supernatural kingdom work on his behalf. They were powerless at this time. And I love Jesus. I like to encourage people. I think I do. I mean there's times where I'm like you got to get it together and figure it out. But I, I, sometimes I'm like, look, you're all right. You're going to make it. And in my back of my mind, is I'm, I'm thinking, hey, it, it's time. You've been falling in that same pit for a long time. It's time to get out that pit. But I, Jesus had no sympathy for his disciples. This man brought his son to these disciples that were deputized, and they could do nothing about his condition. You know what Jesus did? He rebuked them for it. That's what he did. Matthew 17, 17 through 21. Then Jesus answered and said, how would you want Jesus to be your pastor today? He answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not? Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Watch this last verse. How be it, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. He said, the reason you couldn't deal with it is because you have put in the time and the work to be on that level to deal with this man needed you to deal with. This kind only goeth by prayer and by fasting. We can only reach certain levels in the kingdom through prayer and fasting. The formula has always been the same. It's never changed. If we want to see God move, then we've got to sacrifice, we've got to obey, and we've got to do what the Word tells us to do. 
So I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about this, this topic for a little while tonight. Talk on this topic. This kind. This kind. This kind. Dear Heavenly Father, I need you today. I need your power. I need your anointing. Help me to preach to these great people. Help us to lay the foundation for what you want to do this year, God. I truly believe that you're going to do something special. You're going to use us, God. You're going to use this, this group of people to touch heaven, to bring revival to this community and this land. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. If you believe it and you want him to use you, I want you to give God a hand clap of praise and say, I'm available. You may be seated. If you've ever watched the high jumpers in the Olympics, you will realize there are two kinds. There's the regular high jumpers that jump about seven feet. They run and they throw their backs over the bar. Got a little picture of that on the screen. Look at that. How many of you think you can jump over that bar right now? Brother Ralph, you got it. I know you do. I could see you in the air right now. I'm not going to make it. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Now, 18-year-old Josh would have cleared that bar good by a good bit. But 42-year-old Josh isn't making that jump. It's just not going to happen. But there's another kind of high jumper called pole vaulters. And they jump around 18 feet. Check that out. I think I can do that. Here's what they do. They back up. They look down the runway. Then they start running down the track. They stick the pole in the ground, putting all of their weight on it, and they use it to lift themselves to a level that they can never lift themselves on their own. The elevation difference is that one has the right instrument, to propel them over the crossbar. The reason one can, can get seven to eight feet and the other can get 18 feet is they've got some assistance. We all have mountains and obstacles we need to overcome in 2024. There are spiritual breakthroughs that need to happen, such as revival, authority, healing, deliverance, and the list goes on and on. But we will not elevate over this crossbar in our flesh. There is only so far we can go in this flesh. There is only so far we can go with logical thinking. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's what the Lord says. He says you can only go so far in your flesh. But you can tap into the supernatural and go even higher in the kingdom. Got great news tonight. There is an answer to your situation. No matter where you're at, no matter what your family is going through, there is a situation, there is an answer to your circumstance and your situation. It is not by might nor by power, but the Holy Spirit wants to help you overcome anything you're going through in 2024. Many have already said on this first week of the new year, mountains, you're not going to keep me down any longer. Has anybody said that? I'm not going to continue to do the same things I've always done. Anybody made any commitments or am I the only one? I'm going to be different this year. I'm going to be better. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray. And we grit our teeth with the power of positive thinking. New Year's resolutions are made. How many of you have already been to the gym this year? Anybody? Got a couple? We're not doing too good. <laughs> many of us have resolved not to repeat our mistakes. We take off. And we jump as high as we can jump, only to realize we're two feet off the ground. I mean, we running. Here it is. This is the year. And we jump 
I almost jumped, but I didn't. And we're two feet off the ground. I'm going to be real tonight. Some of us have been jumping the same two feet for far too long. The bar of commitment is still 18 feet, but we think two feet is good enough. It's not going to cut it with what God wants to do in your life. It would help if you had something you can lean on when you get to that bar to go higher than you could ever lift yourself. And here's the great news. There is prayer and fasting will get you to a place to where you can lean on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can function in your life and operate like it needs to. There are no, no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. There are a lot of people today that want to be powerfully used by God, but they don't want to put any daily disciplines in a position in themselves to be used by God. They don't want to be holy. They don't want to be separated. They don't want to pray. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to fast. The problem with most of us, including myself, are we are far too impatient. Don't look at your spouse. Please don't look. That's not what this is about tonight. If God doesn't speak to us in the first five minutes of prayer or during the first three hours of our fast, we decide he's not talking to me today. We have been programmed with a microwave mentality. We want everything right away. God, I spent, I spent an hour in prayer. You should do everything I'm asking you to do in my life. God, I read my Bible, I read my Bible one time in the last three weeks, and you just need to bless me, God, and use me. And, and I, I'm being honest. Tiff and I don't, don't have it all figured out. We're still a work in progress, especially her. She needs help. Holy Spirit needs to help her. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking an angel of the Lord showed up at my house this morning, woke me up, carried me to the kitchen table with the Bible laid out and said, this is what you need to read today. I hate to burst your bubble. It didn't happen like that. I had to crawl out the bed just like you. I didn't want to get up. I had to make myself sit down and open the Bible and say, man, I would rather be doing something else, but I've got to spend time in the Word of God today. Look, this takes time. I don't walk around my house speaking in tongues all day. I don't. I don't. I gripe. I complain just like you. Know your role. I get mad and frustrated just like you. I get tired and weary just like you. But I've learned that spirituality takes intentionality. You're not going to be spiritual if you're not intentional about being spiritual. We're not going to be spiritual if we don't tell our flesh, no, you're not in control today. The Holy Spirit is going to be in control of my life. And that's why the Bible says when you go into your secret place of prayer, shut the door. Because if you don't shut the door, there's some type of distraction that is trying to pull you out of the place of prayer. So when you go in there and shut the door and say, I'm going to be alone with the Holy Spirit today because I need to get in tune with what God wants to do in my life. It takes intentionality, even in my life. Look, fasting, my wife tells everybody, and I don't know why. We need to talk about that after service. She says, fasting is, 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 is my husband's greatest weakness. I'm like, baby, don't tell people that. But it is. I like to eat. Most Pentecostal people do. It, I mean, if fasting is your strongest spiritual discipline, then you just like, man, I, I really, I thrive in fasting. God bless you, but it's not me. I'm already trying to figure out how I'm going to get through next week with no caffeine. 
Literally, I drunk a cup of coffee on the way here, and I usually don't drink caffeine after 4 o'clock. And you may say, what are you doing? I'm loading up on as much as I can before we get to Sunday night at midnight. Tiff said, babe, that's not a good idea. You need to start weaning yourself. Nope, nope, nope. Sunday night at midnight, it's over. But until then, cup in this hand, a cup in this hand. One after another. Because I understand next week's going to be complicated, but it's necessary if I want to go to the level that God wants to take me, it's necessary for me to get my, my, my flesh into submission and for me to let the spirit world know I'm about to take authority over some things. I'm going to take control over some things. There are ranks to this, and this kind is only going to be dealt with through prayer and fasting. Where is the tenacity of the old saints who would take a hold of God in prayer and fasting and refuse to let go until they received a sure word? A rhema word until something broke or changed. I'm talking about, I'm talking about where you say in your mind, it may not happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen in a month from now. And I'm going to keep going and doing what needs to be done. That's why the word tells us to pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Pray till something breaks or you break through. That's what prayer is. Prayer isn't, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, feed Jake. That's not what it's about. He's been a good dog all through it all. If I should die before I wake, feed Jake. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is tapping in and, and telling God, I'm here till something breaks. I'm here till an angel shows up. I'm here till the prodigal comes home. I'm here until deliverance happens. I'm going to pray until the waters are troubled again. I'm going to pray until the cloud of abundance shows up. I'm going to pray. And there's going to be opposition and setbacks and doubt and insecurities. But I'm going to pray anyway. Jesus said there are times when nothing but prayer and fasting will drive out the source of demonic oppression and bring change in the middle of your circumstances. It's his formula. And we have to follow it if we're going to operate on the level he intends for us to be on. We see in Matthew a need is brought to the followers of Christ, his disciples, but they were hopeless and helpless. They didn't have the power to heal or deal with the situation. Jesus is so frustrated with his disciples that he associates them with a faithless and perverse generation. He's irritated because in Matthew 10, he had just called unto him his 12 disciples, and he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and disease. But now they face an opponent they can't deal with. Let me say it again. There are some situations and battles where being a casual follower of Christ will not suffice. Showing up and going through the motions will not suffice. You ever heard the whole saying, new level, new devil? Get ready. If we're going to tear down strongholds, then we got to be ready that when we get to that new level, there's going to be a new devil waiting on us. The Holy Spirit quickened me today and said it's possible to have a command of power but not a connection with power. It's possible to say I've got a command of power but we don't have no connection with power they wanted to do something about the problem but it's obvious their spiritual condition wasn't in alignment with their spiritual command they weren't doing what needed to be done to have the authority that they needed to have in order to deal with the situation and we have a command today I love Mark 16 17 through 18 
And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on, the, on sick people, and they will get well. That's spiritually speaking. Don't go home and drink deadly poison. You remember Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. Not mine will, but thine will. It's the cup of iniquity. Do, do you remember what the enemy is compared to or how he entered the garden through a serpent? What, what this scripture is telling us is that we have a command to have authority and power and dominion and to be able to deal with things in the spirit realm. But our spiritual level of power is in our connection. There are levels to this. Acts 19, 11 through 20. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. We, we've heard the command, but we don't have no connection. Paul's effectiveness is contrasted with the impotence of the traveling Jewish exorcists who used the name of Jesus as though it were a magical name, but they didn't have any relationship with the name of Jesus. None. Didn't have any dialogue. Any, they never prayed, obviously. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered, Look, you in bad shape if you're praying for somebody that's possessed. And the evil spirit answers and says, who are you? Not good. Word to the wise, get out, go find somebody else. Tap out immediately. Don't say, no, I'm, I'm going to deal with it right now because you, you want to know what happened? The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. If somebody calls you to come to their house to pray for them and the spirit says, who are you? Get out of there as fast as you can if you don't have a connection with the Holy Spirit. Because if you're running around the neighborhood naked and wounded, we know exactly what happened. They ain't been praying. <laughs> what the hell? And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. Watch this. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Several million dollars in today's currency. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. We must be careful. That we don't put so much emphasis on the power that we neglect the source of the power. We better not preach so much about the command that we forget about the source the command came from. Somebody better help me right now. I know a lot of people that can dress it up and look like they got power, but they haven't spent no time talking to Jesus Christ. We've got to be connected with the source. Daniel 11 and 32. But the people that do know their God, that know him, the people that know their God, Daniel eleven thirty two. there you go. People that know their God shall be strong and do uh, exploits. The only way to know him is through prayer, through conversation, through dialogue. And the disciples somehow missed it. 
They thought their association was enough to validate their power. And we do the same thing. We are disciples. We are followers of Christ. But we can become so defined by the concept of Christianity that we miss the power of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, that should be associated with our walk. Have we been in connection with Him? Because if we have, then every day we're walking, we can deal with this kind that is trying to bring down others. There is somebody that is bound, oppressed, and possibly possessed. And they're looking for somebody that's been walking with the Holy Spirit in prayer. Can we deal with the issues that people bring to us? He reproves them with these words. Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? And we can sense his frustration. The reference to perverse generation has Old Testament roots. It is applied to the Israelites in the song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32. Moses said to them that they were a perverse and unbelieving generation. They saw the works of God, yet they still didn't believe. Therefore, God was deeply disappointed with them. Deuteronomy 32 and 4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. Their justice, a good God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And I want you to notice the words faithfulness and without iniquity. That's the exact opposite of faithless and perverse. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because of their blemish. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Deuteronomy 32 and 20, and he said, this is what the outcome is. If we don't pray and we don't have a relationship with him and we take what we have for granted and we don't utilize the Holy Spirit and we don't pray and we don't get in the word of God, look, and he said, I will hide my face from them and I will see what their end will be for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. Now in Matthew 17 and 17, we find the same words which were applied to Israel of Jesus' day. Jesus rebuked the Jewish people as a whole. But his words were also intended for the disciples. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Jesus included his disciples. The 12 that he, that he called personally, he handpicked. He included them with the perverse and faithless generation. I don't care what position you're in tonight. And I'm talking to myself. It's so easy to get caught up in doing ministry and doing life that I forget that I need to be daily connected. And you can be here and not be faith-filled because faith will cause us to see Christ. And many believe, but they don't have any works to what they believe. And, and faith without works is it's dead. It's obsolete. We've got to be willing to say, I have faith, but I'm going to operate in that faith. You know what we read? Jesus rebuked the devil. And he departed out of him. And the situation was taken care of that very hour. Then came his disciples to Jesus apart. They got apart. They got away. That's a smart thing to do. If you ever are seeking correction in your life, don't, don't seek that correction in front of people. Do it apart. Go somewhere Go somewhere personal. And, and they came to Jesus apart. And they said, why? Why could we not cast that spirit out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Jesus laid the responsibility for the child not being delivered squarely on the disciples. He told them, it's your fault that that child wasn't delivered. Guys, that weighs me down more than anything. For Jesus to say, I wanted to deliver. But it's your unbelief is the reason that they never were set free. 
Simply put, the disciples didn't have enough faith to cast out the devil. Please let that sink in. This was Jesus' most profound source of his complaint. At a superficial level, the disciples did have some faith. They thought they could exercise the demon since they had been successful in the past in this kind of work. But now they are surprised by their failure. Though they had faith, their faith was poor and, and infectious. It produced the same effect as no faith. In that sense, it may be said that they were faithless. How? Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. Proving that you can be present, but not really listening. Now, one thing I've learned with being a parent and a pastor is people can be around you, but not hear nothing you say. Somebody going to help me in here? Because hearing, real hearing, you have to be intentional about I'm going to hear. Just like being spiritual is intentional. I can talk to Brantley in London, and they looking off in outer space. I'm like, what are y'all staring at? There's nothing out there. Look at me. I'm talking and giving instruction. But I've learned that you can hear, or you can seem like you hear, but not really get what's being said. Now, this is where it gets interesting to me. Matthew 17 and 20. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And we have wrongly taken this, this scripture, and we have wrongly taught mustard seed faith in the church. We've told people, you just got to have a little bit of faith. You've got to have a little bit of mustard seed faith. How many's heard that preach? I preached it. I probably messed up preaching it again. It's a little bit of faith all you need. But that's not, that's not what, what Jesus is saying here. Four chapters earlier in Matthew 13, 3 through 8, Jesus gives the parable of the sower and the seed. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them out. Watch this. This is what I want to be, verse 8. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. I want to be in this parable. I want to be the other. That's what I want to be. I don't want to be the one to, to where the seed didn't find good ground. But let me ask you a question. The sower and the seed is the same. The only difference is the soil the seed is sown into. And there are people that go from church to church Looking for a word, but they never deal with the soil of where the word and the seed is being planted in their life. I'm going to help somebody right now. I'm going to help somebody. You can go wherever you want to go, but if you haven't dealt with the soil of your life and your heart, and the seed don't find good ground, it's never going to produce in your life. You're never going to be happy. The preaching's never going to be enough. The church is never going to be good enough. The sound's never going to be right. Let me ask you a question. Are we producing and growing in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance? Because against 
Against such there is no law. Am I producing fruit from the seed that is being planted in my life? And then he goes on to this. This is the reason I'm bringing this up. Because the seed is not meant to stay a seed. It's got to grow. It's got to produce. And when he said that if you have if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, what he's saying is that's where it should start. But it shouldn't stop there. Faith should increase and get stronger and it should grow and produce more in my life. Matthew 13, 31 through 32. Then he brings in the mustard seed. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown... It is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree. He said mustard seed faith should turn into tree-sized faith so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And we have been taught that all we need is a little faith, like, like a grain of a mustard seed to see God move. But that's not what Jesus is teaching. He didn't tell the disciples that a little faith is all they needed to cast out the devil. Instead, he paints a picture of the type of faith they needed in this situation. He said, hey, guys, you remember that, that I didn't even know a mustard tree was a thing. He said, but you remember, you remember that huge mustard tree we passed a few days back? Had, had the massive trunks and its limbs were thick and long. And remember how tall it was and the shadow it cast? Oh, oh! you remember the bird's nest that we've seen in that tree? That tree grew. It grew from a tiny seed. You've seen, you've, you see the tree, but it came from a seed. Put me a picture of a, of a mustard tree. I looked this up today. Look at that. At what point in your life is your faith going to go from a seed to a tree? At what point in my life is it going to go from being just enough to more than enough to where I'm prophesying and speaking and letting the enemy know I'm serious about this? Keep that up there, please. Listen to me. Your faith is just like a grain of mustard seed, but it has to grow if you're going to access the things of the kingdom. That's why Jesus used the term great faith. A little faith is not enough. And now you know this, your faith has to continue to grow and become so dominant that it overshadows and blots out any unbelief in your life. And it only happens when we plant our faith in the soil of prayer and fasting. How is that seed going to find good ground to become a tree? Because I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm dealing with my flesh. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not bitter at anybody. I'm not holding on to any resentment. I just want to see revival. I want to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I had, to, I had to search this out today because I thought it was interesting and you may not think so. And I don't have much longer. Do, do you know, I, I had to search it out because I wanted to be right. Do you know that, that a dove will land in a tree? Hunter, where you at? Dove hunter. Extraordinary. A dove, I, I searched it out so I don't care what you say, Hunter. I said, my, my Google said a dove will land in a tree. And I got to thinking, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove onto Jesus. And when we pray and we make room for the dove to have a place to dwell, if we say, you know what, I want my faith to grow, I'm going to pray, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to show up, I can, make, I can maybe only make one night of prayer, but I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. You hear me, the Holy Spirit will show up with joy and peace and victory. And That's what that dove, that dove represents it represents the Holy Spirit. And that's why prayer has been called breathing for the soul. Because when you pray, your soul breathes. That's, that's what people don't understand. I know it sounds crazy. 
People pass by and you in your car saying, God, I thank you for the day. God, you've been so good to me. God, come sit right here beside me. And you look over in your passenger seat and you're saying, God, I love you so much. And a car pulls up beside you. And you sitting there, God, I just I thank you for being so good to me. I have I've had it happen. That car looks at me and says, you talking to me? No, 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 no. I got, I got Jesus in the seat with me right now. We having a conversation. Because it's, it's in those moments that I've learned. I don't care how goofy it looks. I don't care what people think about it. It's like paying tithes. I can't explain tithing. But if you give 10%, God will bless you according to his word. I can't explain it. All I know is he said, prove. He said, prove me. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't contain. When you pray, you cast your cares upon him. And those things you've been holding on to and carrying, when you begin to talk to him, you give that all to him and say, I can't carry it on my own. I need your help. And listen, he don't ever talk back. To me, I've never heard an audible voice. I've heard him call my name. I've heard the Holy Spirit. I think it was the Holy Spirit, unless it was... My mind playing tricks on me. I've heard my name called twice. Josh. Got out the house as quick as I could. I was there by myself. I didn't say, here I am, Lord. Thy servant is listening. No, no. Got out quick as I could. Quick as I could. So I, he, he's never, just being honest, I, I, I can't recall. There's times that, that I thought I've heard him clearly because he was impressing. You ever been there to where you're praying and the Holy Spirit is just something that's so clear comes to your mind and, or somebody's name comes to your mind or a situation that you know that you're getting ready to speak to. It happens like that in my sermons. I'm praying. God, I'm, I'm weighed down. I'm tired. I'm weary. All of a sudden that stuff starts to lift off of me because that scripture casts your cares upon him and the Holy Spirit starts impressing me. I'm getting ready to do this. I'm going to do A, B, C. And I'm like, okay, God, let me write it on down. Three months goes by nothing happened. God, come here. Sit right here. Three months ago, I was in prayer, and you begin to impress on my spirit what you were getting ready to do, and God, I'm ready to see it happen. I know it's your timing and your will, but I just want to remind you that I'm going to pray until it happens. I'm going to go look until I see the cloud the size of a man's hand. I sense the abundance of rain, and I will pray. There's a lot of people that mentally are struggling. Because they've lost the concept of prayer. If you go to him and pray, I promise you he will help you through that. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, musicians, you can come. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Look at that. Casting, next verse, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for Prayer helps me cast my cares on it. But you know what prayer also does? It helps me move mountains in my life. Now, listen, I don't want you to go tell a mountain to move. That's not, I don't want you to go to Colorado. If that was, if it's a figure of speech. If I could really move mountains, the Smoky Mountains would be in the back of the church right now. The whole landscape. It would be the River Church and the Smoky Mountains would be in the back. And I would charge an entry fee for people to come in and see the Smoky Mountains. That's what I would do. I would. So I don't want you to think, oh, man, I'm going to go and just move mountains. No, what, it, what, what Jesus is referencing here is that when you pray, you can go to, up to mountains in opposition in your life. 
And you can move them in the spirit if you pray. He's not talking about geography. He's talking about spiritually. He says, if you've got things in your life that is opposing you, you can pray and you can do something about that. You can make a difference by simply praying. Which leads me to this. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I want to take a moment to rebuke hopelessness right now in despair. God still specializes in doing the impossible. Just because it's impossible to us doesn't mean it's impossible to him. And that's another reason that we need to pray. And I'm hurrying, guys. 751. I didn't even get to fasting. Prayer's dialogue. It's me praying and listening in my spirit. It's me talking to God. It's also me letting the spirit realm know that I mean business about my walk with God. Matthew 17, verse 21. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Jesus was telling them they needed faith. But faith isn't all they needed. They also needed to pray and fast. You see, before this incident, you know where Jesus was? Forty days in the wilderness praying and fasting. And Satan is doing everything in his power to disturb and disrupt the harmony and effectiveness of the church. He hates our message, and he can't stand the source of our power. Therefore, he is doing everything he can to desensitize us and disqualify us from dealing with him. He don't care if we show up here and got on a nice suit coat and we look like we got authority. If we haven't been praying, we have no connection with the source of power. He doesn't mind us gathering here as long as there's no depth. He doesn't care if we show up just as long as we don't linger. That's what Paul says. Paul goes on this analogy of putting on the armor of God. And he said after you fully put on the armor, he said praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. You know what we need today? If we're going to win the loss in this community, we've got to be a house of prayer. If we're going to have an impact in this area, this can't just be the River Church on Highway 442. This has to be a house of prayer. If we're going to do anything for the Lord, this has to be a house of prayer. In Acts, it says, after they prayed, the place was shaken because prayer would make things happen not casual prayer but effectual prayer we must be a house of prayer we've got to build a hedge you know what that analogy is when it talks about building a hedge it talks about that when there's a gap the farmers used to do this they would build a hedge around their crops try to keep anything that would come to destroy the crops out of the hedge out of the, the garden if there was a breach in the hedge that's scripture then the enemy can come in and can trample the harvest and take the goodness out of the harvest and God is looking for somebody to make sure that the harvest is not going to be ruined and there's going to be a hedge of God's protection for everything God wants to do there are people right now that God is dealing with and he needs somebody to say I'm going to build a hedge so the enemy doesn't come in and take God's getting ready to do. What about standing in the gap? 
you telling me that if God would spare Lot and his family because of Abraham's intercessory prayer, you're telling me that God won't do something in your family if you step into intercessory prayer and fill the gap? In battle, one soldier would sacrifice his life to stand in the breach that the enemy had made in the wall so that the enemy couldn't get in and destroy anything. Do you know that God repented or relented more than 30 times in the Old Testament? He doesn't change his character, but he alters his actions toward mankind if somebody will stand in the gap. And there are people standing in the gap is also building a bridge. When you pray, you are literally laying a bridge for somebody to get across something that they couldn't get across without our prayer life. Think about that. They want to get across, but the only way they're going to get across is there's somebody who will build the hedge and stand in the gap. And I'll close with this. If you're going to pray, you've got to fast. Abraham Lincoln is known for making this statement. Give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. Fasting is not a requirement. Fasting is a choice. And after Jesus fasted and battled the devil, the Bible says this in Luke 14 and 4 and 14. He returned in the power of the Spirit. Fasting will ignite the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Fasting doesn't deplete you spiritually. It depletes you physically, but it builds you spiritually. And here's something I want us to get. Fasting is a short season that releases long-term awards. Fasting is a short season that releases long-term rewards. Isaiah 58, 6 through 7. Can you get that for me? I know I jumped. Isaiah 58, 6 through 7. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free. That you break every yoke. Is not to deal thy bread to the hungry. Thou bring the poor that are cast out of to thy house. When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. That's what he says that when you fast, when you declare a fast, you're not just fasting for yourself, but you're fasting for those that are broken and wounded and tired, and you're letting the enemy know you might have them now, but you're not going to have them for very long because I'm getting ready to take a dominion and authority. And prayer and fasting gives us the accent of God. That's what people don't realize. You're not born with an accent. An accent is learned. That's why a lot of us have a southern draw. That's why I talk like my biological father. There's some words I can't pronounce. You know why? Because my dad gave me my accent. He influenced my life and communicated with me. And when we begin to fast and pray, then all of a sudden we take on the accent of God. And when we step up, the enemy knows, oh, they, they've, been, they've been praying and fasting. More than anything, as pastor of the river, I want the enemy to know there's a church that is spiritually hungry for more of God. We don't want water to our ankles or our knees or our waist. We want waters to swim in. We want revival. We want there to be a depth in this place. Let's stand all over the house.
Preacher, I don't know how, I don't know how to swim. How many, how many will be honest right now and say prayer and fasting intimidates you? Just be honest. How many will say maybe I, I really don't know, I, I don't know what to say in prayer? That, that's the beautiful thing about prayer. It's about the intent of the conversation. I don't always have the words, but I'm going to pray. Paul Harvey, one summer morning as Ray Blankenship was preparing his breakfast, he gazed out the window and saw a small girl being swept along in the rain-flooded drainage ditch beside his Ohio home. Blankenship knew that further downstream, the ditch disappeared with a roar underneath the road, and then it emptied into a main culvert. And he knew, he said, if somebody doesn't rescue that girl, she's going to drown. So Ray dashed out the door and raced along the ditch trying to get ahead of the, the, the child. And then he hurled himself into the deep, churning water. And Blankenship surfaced and was able to grab the child's arm. They tumbled end over end within about three feet of the culvert. Ray's hand felt something, possibly a rock, protruding from one bank. He clung desperately with one hand to the rock, one hand to the child. He said, if I can just hang on until help comes, he thought. He did better than that. By the time the fire department and rescuers arrived, Blankenship had pulled the girl to safety. Both were treated for shock. On April the 12th, 1989, Ray Blankenship was awarded the Coast Guard Silver Life-Saving Medal. The award was fitting for this selfless person was an even greater risk to himself than most people knew because Ray Blankenship jumped into the water and he couldn't even swim but when you're trying to save a life there's, there's some people that we know today if there is not a church to build the hedge and stand in the gap they may not make it and we can talk about how hey we don't know how to pray and fast or we can just we can jump into the deep waters and say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to see revival. I'm going to pray how I pray. I'm not going to pray how anybody else prays. I'm going to be me in the prayer room. One of the hardest things I, I had to do as pastor is learn how to pray like I pray because Brother Spikes prayed a whole different way. He would pray and the, the rafters would rattle. I'd pray nothing to happen. But I've learned that it's not maybe the tone of my prayer. It's the intent of my prayer. And if I'm willing to just jump in the water and say, God, I don't know what to say, but I'm going to talk to you like I'm talking to somebody else, and I'm getting ready to tell you what I need, what I believe is going to happen, and then I'm going to listen. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to dwell. I'm going to be silent because a lot of us know how to pray and talk, but we don't know how to sit and listen. When's the last time the Holy Spirit impressed something on you? So we're getting ready. Sunday we're doing communion. Next week we're going into a month of prayer and fasting. If you will today, only those who will, if you want to grow in your faith, and you're going to take the journey, even though you may not understand everything, and you're going to pray and you're going to fast, whether you do it with the church or you do it by yourself, whatever you want to do. But you're saying, I'm going to pray and fast because I want God to use me. If everybody in here reached one or two people, what would happen? 